Have you met people that when you get around them, there's just an effect immediately? I have a friend of mine that said that he has a friend that every time the person leaves the room, the sun starts shining again. You, know, you, you, you don't want that effect, do you? <clears throat> you know, you, you, don't, you don't really want that effect on people. But I, I've been in places where people's presence or their, uh, their, their just being there uh, had an effect. I was thinking about this uh, as I was preparing that uh, in 1992, when I moved uh, to, to Oklahoma City, I worked at a place that's now called Mid-America Christian University. And I would just tell you that the presence of that university probably wasn't known any further than a four-block radius. <laughs> uh, it really wasn't. It was actually called back then uh, Mid-America Bible College. And uh, one of the things we discovered was that everybody around the neighborhood only thought we were a Bible college to train people for ministry. And then if you went past about four or five blocks, nobody knew who you were. Uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, but you know what? If you live in Oklahoma City for any length of time, if you're like me now, I see a billboard or a sign on a bus or something that says M-A-C-U. Anybody else besides me? I, you know, I, 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 this may tell you more than you want to know, but uh, when, when I was messing around with my iPad the other day, I was doing, well, I, wasn't, I was actually working, uh, but, but I'm, I'm looking at some stuff and I see on these pages, uh, these little ads, M-A-C-U. M- you seen that? We're everywhere. Uh, and so I thought, I'm going to try something. Not that I go to this site, but I said, it went, huh? It's on the radio. I know I heard myself that they nearly drove off the road. Yeah, we're on TV. I saw that too. The presence, it, it's amazing. Uh, I even was just Googling. I just went to a crazy website that, you know, was about social media and like that and saw on the side, have you decided to earn your degree? And I thought, man, it's everywhere now. The presence of the university has been, uh, it's been kind of amazing to see that happen over the last uh, several years. In fact, I was uh, uh, talking with a student the other day, and uh, this is on his uh, Facebook. This is Jason Robinson, a student of ours. This is a billboard down and more on the right of that billboard is a billboard that the storms hit. Yeah, yeah. And then this is the front of it, and Jason was careful to say, it saved my face. So uh, he, he was pretty happy. But, I mean, everywhere I go in town or around, I sit on the side of buses, everywhere I go, that this, this idea of the presence of the university here is uh, pretty amazing. And you can send all contributions to macu.edu. <laughs> Uh, but that idea of the presence, and you know, uh, it, it's it's been a, and it's been an amazing thing uh, in the in the city. Well, in this story, Jesus' presence uh, seems to me to bring about some reactions and some uh, uh, different matters. I think that that are fairly uh, significant. So we're going to look at this first one here: is Jesus pre- or this Jesus and Martha again in forty one? Look here in eleven forty one. I'm sorry, uh, verse 38. Uh, So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now we said we were coming here to this, where this event actually now comes to the raising of Lazarus. And I told you that this word, uh, deeply moved back up in 33, uh, really uh, carries the notion, or the idea is the snorting of a horse. This is not uh, some uh, sentimental sort of response on Jesus' part. There is some sense in which that Jesus is so deeply moved that there is some indignation or some would even uh, go so far as to say anger. That Jesus is deeply, deeply affected 
by the death of his friend. Uh, and you know, this, this sorrow that he's experiencing. Remember one of the words or ways that Jesus is described in the Old Testament, Isaiah, is a man of sorrows. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And Jesus isn't just acquainted like I am with a guy that lives four, rows, four doors down from my house. I wave to him and say, hello, Fred. And he has a storm shelter, so we've become good friends in the last... Yeah, tell him the other day. Yeah, you have a storm shelter? Hi, Fred, how are you today? How are you feeling? You know, uh, no, that, We're just kind of acquainted. This idea of Jesus being acquainted with grief is that he has not only experienced it, but he's able to enter in to our grief. That's a fascinating thought. We don't have a lot of time. But this idea of Jesus is deeply moved at the tomb. And now it was at the, uh, or at the, it, there was a stone lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, at this time there will be a stench. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you will see the glory of God? Did, did I not say to you, Martha, remember now, I told you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Now, I want to stop right there because there's, a, there's an idea here I want to work out. There's a couplet here that Jesus uses. He says, if you believe, you will what? See. If you believe, you will see. Now, that couplet there, that, that idea of, of believing, of Jesus, if you will, uh, uh, telling them uh, in the midst of their sorrow. After four days, remember I told you that in Judaism... The idea is a person is not dead until three days. They don't consider a person dead until three days. It's, it's Jewish understanding or thought. That when she says he's been dead for four days, he's not only dead, he's really dead. <laughs> that there is no question here now about this kind of a situation. And Jesus said, if you'll believe, you'll see. If you'll believe me, you will see. And you know what? I, I, as I reflected on that, worked on that, I just, I just want to ask you to consider something. That Jesus' presence here, His presence, His uh, uh, situation there, is beginning to turn things around in this, in this particular situation. And I think that this is similar in our own lives, that we have to not only believe, but we have to see at times God's work in our life. And we can. We'll see this here in a second. You know, I remember hearing when Jesus said, if you'll believe, you'll see. When I was a kid growing up, when people talk about church, I always heard, instead of believing it when I see it, it's what? When I see it, I believe it. See, this is opposite, isn't it? The, the, the biblical idea is when you believe it, you'll see it. Our culture tells us if you see it, then what? You believe it. You know what? I don't think that's true anymore. We say, well, if I see it, I believe it. Well, you know, with Photoshop and with computers and with matters like that nowadays, the notion that just because you see it, you'll believe it, I think is a long gone conclusion, right? I was just looking the other day. In fact, I said to myself, get back to studying, Cliff. I started looking at all these Photoshop things. It's unbelievable what Abraham Lincoln was doing in that, in that to deal there. You know, I mean, it's crazy that this idea of seeing and then believing, the biblical model here is believing and you will see. Now, this is fascinating to me. 
Because this is where followers of Jesus, I think, find ourselves. That we want to see first before we believe. Anybody with me but me? Am I the only person that wants that? Are y'all awake? (laughs) I know some of y'all got your photo taken and you're thinking about, I should have worn something different down there in the Photoshop. Uh, But this idea of believing and then seeing. I wrote in my notes here. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Does it mean trust, to depend on, to have confidence in? All those kind of matters. You know, we we can define the word believe. We can can understand what it means. But I want to show you a film clip here. That's what we were working on this morning. I really need to show you this this morning. That I want to show you a film clip from a movie that I saw years ago that I think illustrates the following. And, And you'll see this here. On this, I want to talk to you about the features of belief real quick. We're going to watch the film clip, and then I want you to see if you can identify them. Okay? <clears throat> I want you to see. When it says, if you'll believe, when I saw that word, I thought, okay, we, we, we got to stop here for a minute. What does that mean? Number one, I want to suggest to you that there are several features to belief or faith or trust. Number one, you need to determine the correct object. The Bible doesn't suggest that we believe in belief. Or we have faith in faith. That does not seem to be what the scriptures suggest. The scriptures always use the preposition in when it says believe in God. He's the object of our faith. And I would suggest to you that instead of worrying about how much faith you have, you might want to stop and ask yourself, what's the object of my faith? What am I really believing in? What am I really trusting in? Where is my confidence really placed? That's why Jesus said things like believe in God. And he also said that it doesn't matter how much faith you have. If you have the faith, a grain of a mustard seed, it'll do what? Move a mountain. It's not the amount of faith that you and I have. It's the object that we put our faith in. I mean, for instance, there'll be people today perhaps uh, that take their paycheck and because they had a dream or they read a fortune cookie, they're going to go spend all their money on lottery tickets. Right? (laughs) Happens all the time. I read in the newspaper yesterday that the number one lottery ticket place in Oklahoma is in Guymon. Well, there's got to be something out there for somebody, you know. So number one place that sold more lottery tickets, more winners anywhere in Oklahoma. There will be people that take that. Now, you know what? They really believe, don't they? They have so much confidence they're willing to take their paycheck and spend it and use it believing I am going to win the lottery. Now, now what's the problem? Is that the object of their faith is what? Fortune cookie, (laughs) the dream that they had. The confidence that's been generated is because of the object of their faith, which is now, I would suggest, unreliable. Would you? It's unreliable. See, the issue of faith or belief isn't just belief and believing. It comes back to the object. To what am I believing in? Where is my faith located? There are people today, if you will, that may exercise more faith than you and I do. The question isn't how much. The question is what is the object and is the object reliable? You with me? Not the question of how much or that you have faith. The question will always come down to 
What is the object of your faith? And if the object of your faith or my faith is unreliable, faith will have no bearing on the situation. Right? Make sense? Okay, let me, let me, let me go to the next one. We're going to see this clip here in a second. I want to suggest to you that faith is often against your feelings. Now, I work with students and have for a long time. And I, I've enjoyed working with them because this becomes, and I, I find it is also with adults, that many, many times our faith is grounded in how we feel. For instance, if we feel close to God, we are what? Huh? Close to God. These are easy now. Just stay with me, okay? I'm not trying to trick you. I already did that last week in finals, so yeah. Yeah. If you feel close to God, then you must be close to God. Or if you feel far from God, you must be... See, our feelings are what dictate us. A lot of times, our feelings tell us something that is absolutely incorrect. I have a good friend... Uh, uh, who uh, was uh, uh, in a farming accident years ago, up by where Becky lives. Another reason why I'd hesitate to go there at times. <laughs> I'm always afraid I'm going to get hurt. guy's name is Steve Wheeler. Steve was a student at Mid-American, a wonderful guy. <clears throat> Wasn't a follower of Jesus, you know, and, and that, you know, he's a nice guy though. But he got involved in a farming accident where he actually put his arm into an auger. I know, <laughs> if you just relax. <laughs> Uh, into an auger, and it grabbed him and chewed his arm off to his shoulder. Uh, miraculously, he got to the hospital in Garden City uh, before he bled out. And uh, they had to amputate his arm all the way to the shoulder. He had a little nub right here. And we, uh, he was a student of mine. And uh, one day, we're uh, walking around, and, you know, uh, I went to the bathroom, and he went, we weren't following each other. Guys never do that, right? <laughs> never. I was out to dinner with somebody the other night, and I said, man, I really need to go to the bathroom. I know you do too. This is just not right. <laughs> Guys just can't. So uh, I'm standing there at the, at the after he's the mirror, washing our hands. It, it, what was amazing was to watch him, watch him wash one hand. And he went, mm, mm, mm. And I said, uh, what's going on, Steve? He said, my arm is hurting me. And I said, Really? What's wrong with your arm? He said, not, not that one, the other one. And I said, explain that to me. He said, it's called phantom pain. Somehow, the brain and the nervous system, even when you lose a limb, continues to get... And I said, that this is... What are you talking about? He said, Cliff, there are days when my right... It's off, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, there's a nub here. That's all there is. There are days when my right arm hurts me. You know, when I'm walking off of there, out of there, I thought, later I thought, you know, that sometimes happens to us that our feelings are telling us something that isn't true. I mean, he's feeling pain, but he doesn't have an arm. That, That sometimes our feelings and sometimes the way we've been wired in our brain and the way things happen is that we've been so accustomed to thinking that our feelings are what dictate and determine our faith. We get run over by it. Does that make sense? We, we get run over by our feelings instead of... I'll tell you one other one real quick. You know my thing with needles. <clears throat> and uh, uh, one day I had to go get some blood drawn for some reason. And, uh, you know, the nurse uh, puts the needle in there. Yeah. 
and it feels like she laid her finger there, you know, didn't hurt. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, stand, sit, laying there. <laughs> yeah, I don't ever sit. I lay. And um, she said, are you okay? And I go, why do you ask? She said, well, you're sweating profusely. Uh, you, you don't have any color. And I said, well, I'm going out. I'll, you know, be seeing you later. Now, yeah. yeah. Becky's married to a real man. Uh, so I'm driving home. And again, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, you know what, Cliff? Here again, your feelings are lying to you. There wasn't any pain. It did not hurt. I even said, you know, that doesn't, I don't feel that. I don't even feel anything. But, but the idea was that my feelings were so wound up in telling me what it was. that, uh, that I, So I just want to ask you to consider. Be careful about this. We said, if you believe, you'll see. Don't consult your feelings. Your feelings are the most unreliable part of you and me as well. I'll tell you this, just one final thing. Do you know how many times the word feeling shows up in the New Testament? Really, maybe one time in Galatians. Only one time the word feeling. You know how many times the word faith shows up? 240, something like that. Okay, last thing. You act on your trust and the object of your faith. This is where I get hung up. <clears throat> I have to act now. I have to do something. I have to say, okay, I, I, I've identified the object. I've determined that the object is reliable. I've determined <clears throat> that the object is telling me the truth. Now I'm going to go against those feelings if they worry me or trouble me. And now I'm going to act. And this seems to be the key. That whenever we recognize that there is not only faith to believe, but now there comes to the point of act. If you want to write this first time, this is by the same author in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Same author. This verse several months ago really began to, to sort of work on me. First John four sixteen. First John four sixteen. He said John writes, he said, We have come to know and believe. When I read that some time ago, I thought, um, I have come to know a lot. You have too. By this stage in your life, you've come to know a lot. But John John says, We have come to know and believe. When I, when I reflect, I thought, how many times have I come short on that? I've come to know. That's what that word means. That's what that verb is. That's where that comes from Scripture. I have come to know it, but do I believe it? Do I believe? Jesus said to Martha, if you will believe, you'll see. Now, I'm going to show you a video real quick. It's about four minutes. I think it's working. Let's, let's pray it is. Uh, here, here's what I want you to do. This is an assignment now. I want you in this video, on your sheet of paper, there you do it. I want you to identify where you think these three features are. Okay, where are they in the video? I'm going to talk to you about it. So where are these? Determine the correct object against feelings and must act. So here we go. My technical team has assured me we're going on this. I don't think that I can take it. Cause it took so long, baby. 
All you old folks know what that song is. That's not a song. There's no way that's a song. It's ridiculous. You made it up. That's definitely a song. It is a good song, and it is a winning song by the sound of it. You give up? Ombelay. MacArthur Park, Richard Harris, 1968. 1968? You'd have to be geriatric. I didn't even think they had recorded music back then. Excuse me. I have a signed album by Mr. Harris. This is very cutting-edge stuff back then. Peter, check your sister's belay. You want to tell him we're not 15 anymore? Why bother? We'll always be 15. Hey, Dad. She needs a second cam. That's not going to hold in the fall. Listen to me, Annie. I don't care how experienced you are. Smart climber always wears a belt and suspenders. Dad. Two cams are safe. Three's even better. Dad. Not kidding, Annie. Nobody's going anywhere until you put another cam in the wall. Dad, I have three cams. He's just yanking your chain. Watch out! We got amateurs at 12 o'clock. Check your safety. Wait here, one cam's never gonna hold it. I can get you understand in. what I'm saying? I you have to cut me loose. If you no, don't do this, I'm gonna pull everybody down and everybody's it'll gonna die. You're wrong, you're Shut up, Annie! It's one dead old three, Peter. You understand don't, what I'm saying? Just think don't about make it. Him do this. All right, she's gonna kill don't your sister. Annie's gonna die if you don't do this. Now cut the rope! No, I won't do it! Just cut the rope! I can't! Cut the rope! Any second now, that cam is gonna come out of the wall, Annie, and you are gonna die! Is that what you want? You're gonna kill your sister! Doesn't matter about me, just cut it! No! We're running out of 
time here. Do Just cut it. Nobody's going to blame you for it. it. Just cut it, Peter. No. We're going to die. No. How do you know we are going to die? No. Just cut it, Peter. Please. Happy Mother's Day. <clears throat> Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> let's, let's talk about this just for a second. What or who is the object of faith here? What or who? Go ahead. <clears throat> huh? The cams initially. <clears throat> the cams are, they'll hold us, right? So the cams initially are the object of faith. What does it move toward? Huh? Who do they, huh? The dad. Why is that? Why would they trust now their dad? What what can you perhaps assume here? He's an experienced climber, right? He was behind them. He was putting him in the wall. He knew how to do this. He was the experienced climber. He was the one who had put things into the wall, got it ready for them to be able to be at least at the place they were. So they have a decision here to make. Who is going to be the object of their faith? That's the real determiner here. You know, this, this again, when we think about our life with Jesus and others, we have to come to some conclusion about where are we going to put our faith? We may not have all the answers. We may not understand everything here. It, Martha certainly didn't. But now, what's the say? How about against feelings? Do you see any of that? Where was that? Kids. <clears throat> Peter and his wife, uh, daughter, sister. Uh, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> Peter and his sister. Did they want to do this? They feel like, hey, this is a great idea. No. <clears throat> Feelings of terror, of difficulty. What then had to happen? They had to go back to what? The object of their faith. Did they go back and say, wait a minute, this is not what we want to do. This isn't what we feel like doing. This isn't something we would do on our own. We now again return to the object of our faith. The one that we believe is reliable to say, whatever you say, what you say, we're going to trust. And then finally, had to do something, didn't they? Had to what? Act. And in that moment, when that young man, and it's a movie, folks. Remember, it's not a National Geographic study here, okay? They walked away. They got their check. You know, they are driving a Ferrari now. Uh, but, But there had to come the point where that object of faith my, my, who I'm putting my faith in, my object, and then the feelings that I got to deal with, I have to do something. And the final matter in faith is you have to act. It's not that you just carry ideas around our head. It's not that we just believe all this stuff, but we believe it to the extent that we act. Now, there are three big theological ideas here, but I just want to remind you, Again, that when Jesus said, if you'll believe, what he meant was, you have to trust me. You have to be willing to not listen to your feelings and then act. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Notice what he says. If you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. You know, in our lives, if we believe, in other words, we get the right object straight. We deal with our feelings and then we act on what we know. We act on what we know. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made a, a great statement in this regard when he said, in one sense, I don't really know where I'm going, 
but I know I'm following Jesus. That's a lot of us, isn't it? I, I don't really know where this is all going. I don't, I don't know where this is all going to work out in all of its details. But my confidence is in the object of Jesus, and I'm trusting Him and looking to Him. So belief that brings this about. Notice here also, if you will, and I, I, I just I want to look, look what he says, that you'll see the glory of God. What is the glory of God? What, what is the glory of God? <clears throat> if I had time, I'd show you some other stuff. I don't think I put this on here. You know, I, you know. <clears throat> uh, this idea of the glory. In Jesus' day, <clears throat> this word glory, doxa, was used about a particular group of people. Rome. In other words, if you saw Gladiator, you know, that historically accurate movie, referred to at different times the glory of Rome. I don't know if you know, there's a video game called The Glory of Rome. Did you know there's a Facebook page? I have too much time on my hands here. The, The Glory of Rome. Historians look back and, and, and suggest that Rome, this incredible civilization that Jesus is under here, if you will, has this incredible... Now, what, what is the glory of Rome? The glory of Rome are these incredible, massive buildings, architecture and temples that one would stand in awe of. People still travel across the, the ocean to go look at them, and they're in ruins. But the glory of them, the wonder, the engineering of water systems. Rome had brought up an area of civilization the plotting of cities. But often, the glory of Rome was understood for many people was their army, their massive military power that no one really could resist. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that they situated through an uneasy peace throughout the world was because of the glory and the power and the might of Rome. So this word, the glory, is not just associated with God but it's also associated with people, with buildings, with things. When you come to the Bible, I'll just suggest to you, this word doxa, kavod, it's kavod in Hebrew, and it means heavy, weighty. It means more pounds than you need. <laughs> My dad always told me he was glorious. And I thought, okay. But it's the idea of weight and substance. But here's the interesting thing about the glory of God. If you want to run this down, I'll give you some verses here to look at later. But the glory of God was always the manifestation of God's presence. The glory of God was the manifestation of His presence. Exodus 16.10, Isaiah 45. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, the Shekinah or the Shekinah, I've been to Israel and I've seen that, that, and Bill Hayes just got back and some others, so we'll, we'll have some nice discussions. But at the Western Wall, it says this, the Shekinah, the glory, the, 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 the glory of God never departs from this place. What is that? The presence of God. What is Jesus saying here? If you'll believe, you will see the presence of God in this circumstance. If you, if you believe, you will see the presence of God, the manifestation of God's presence. What would they think would be the manifestation of God's presence? You'd think it would mean some, if you will, some glorious uh, uh, Roman emperor coming in or some wonderful thing, massive. But what this is, is Jesus standing before a tomb and saying, come forth. Think about that. 
the manifestation of God's glory is an old is a, is a is a young rabbi from Galilee standing in front of a tomb and saying, "Come forth." Remember, I told you he's upset. Notice back there again at verse thirty-eight. He's deeply moved. He's upset. He's, if you will, snorting. What is it? He's raging against death. We said this last week that nothing about God is about death. He's about life and vitality. And what Jesus is raging against is death, sickness, illness. You know, it's fascinating to me that when you see Jesus operating like this, you say, here I see then in this place the glory of God. The glory of God in a person that is coming against the greatest enemy, if you will, of human existence, which is death and dying. And so Jesus stands there before He calls him out and says to Mary, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. God's glory is His concern for other people. You see that here? The manifest presence of God in this person, Jesus, is this is the glory of God. For God to be present in this greatest, most difficult of circumstances in human history. It's not to make a big show. It's to bring God's presence into your problem. Has that happened to you? Where God's presence in your problem, in your circumstance, in your situation, has been the glory of God that you were able to, through whatever circumstance or situation, to get through it because it wasn't that there was just some big show going on, but God's presence in your life. I've talked to people in this room, and and you have too, I know, that uh, they said, I don't know how people without Jesus get through these things. Do you? I'm serious. I I remember when Becky had cancer. I, I don't know how people get through cancer that don't have an understanding that the glory of God is the presence of Jesus. The glory of God is the presence of Jesus in your life and in my life. Jesus said to her, Mary, if you'll believe, you'll see it. Can I ask you a question? Is there anything in your life that right now is a challenge, is a problem, You know, I mean, Jesus here is going to raise somebody from the dead. That probably isn't as much as we're facing, you know. But is is there anything in your life to say, you know what, I got a problem. I got a difficulty here. I got something that's going on that is way beyond what I can do. That's what Jesus had told Mary. Is the same word to you then, if you would believe, you would see God's presence in your life. What I want to do is I want God's presence to come and then I will... Right? Believe. You know me. (laughs) You like that? I want God's presence, and then I believe. The problem I'm in, the situation I'm in, the circumstance. Had had something happen the other day, and I thought, oh God, you need to get in this. I'm thinking, I just need to believe. Believe. What, What do you mean, believe, Cliff? Again, put your faith in Him as the object. Don't look at your feelings and act. Would that change your situation? Would that change your circumstance? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, sometimes God doesn't change the circumstance. He changes us. But if you would believe, 
You say, this is pretty simple. Well, you know, it's simple to say and hard to do. So let me ask you something. Would you do this just for a moment? There on the bottom, what if? And by the way, we didn't get as far as I thought we would. What else is needed? I want to ask you to ask this. What if, what if this week, what if this week you identified where am I having the most challenge in my faith? Is it really that I need to really understand that Jesus, you're the object of my faith? Maybe you just thought faith and faith, faith and faith, faith and faith. Maybe you just thought having faith and faith and just, you know, I, I'm positive, I'm upbeat, I'm... No. Have you given serious thought to what the object of your faith really is? Have I, do I? What is the object? What am I trusting in? Is it my finances? Is it my ability to manage situations? Is it my ability to control things? Or is it Jesus? I'm... Trusting in Him, no matter what. So, so is it that, or is it, you know what? My feelings have got the best of me. My feelings are what I trust. I was talking with a friend this week and, and, and going through some difficulty. And he said this, and I understand this, I get this. He said, you know, I said, I'm, we've, we've adopted this. I love the word. It's part of what Jesus, uh, what Jesus said. I, I sent him a text back and I said, I'm praying, I'm praying that you'll know that Papa is present. I'm praying that you'll know Papa is present. And my friend texted back to me and he said, very honestly, he just said, Papa seems so far away. Papa seems so far away in this struggle, in this trial. I sent him this, you write this down, or you can read it with me if you want to. I sent him this verse back about feelings. In Psalm chapter 31, <clears throat> in Psalm chapter 31, these words are recorded. These are, these are David's words. Listen to what he said. He said, I said in my alarm, I am cut off before your eyes. I, 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 I take that to be, he's emotionally wound up. I said in my alarm, I am cut off from your eyes. In other words, you don't see me. You don't know what's going on with me. You don't understand what's happening to me. I said in my alarm, I am cut off. Now the next word is one of those great words in Scripture. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried to you. You ever feel like that? I said in my alarm, God's not listening to me anymore. He's fed up with me. I've done too much. Listen, those are those feelings, aren't they? I sent this verse back to him in a text, and and I said, Brother, remember this. You're not the first person to feel this. And what your feelings are telling you is a lie. David said, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from you, from your eye. You can't even see me. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried to you. Take that verse and memorize it. Nevertheless, doesn't matter how you feel, doesn't matter how I feel. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to discount. I, I'm not trying to say that, you know, oh, we're just all happy. All, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is maybe we need to assess this a little bit. 
are my fe- are, are, is my faith too affected by my feelings? Then God's truth. And third, maybe you could assess and look at this and say, is there any evidence that when I believe something, I act on it? Is there any evidence of that? That when I believe something, I act on it? That, that's where faith finally comes to, right? It, it isn't just ideas and concepts in your head or managing your feelings and not giving into them, but saying, I now, if you will, will act. Jesus said, if you'd believe, you'll see. It's not see and then believe. In your life, in my life, I'm going to challenge myself this week, and you, if you will, this is how we see the presence and glory of God in our lives. This is how we see the glory of God in our lives. It isn't something overwhelms us. It's something because we believe and we trust and we have confidence. The glory of God is His presence. The glory of God is His manifest presence in our lives. That's pretty good news to me. I want to get this straight because I'd like to, in the coming week, see the glory of God in my life. I'd like to see Jesus get in a couple of situations I know about to say, even death, Cliff, can't stop me. Even death can't stop me. If you'll believe, you'll see God's glory do something that no one else can. I'm going to do that this week. How about you? Let's make a covenant, a pact. I'll check up on you. No, you'll have homework. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are short ideas and words packed with truth that we have to live every day. This conversation, just these words, believe and you will see. Lord, help each and every one of us to do some assessment this week about our life of faith about how we are believing, and then how we might anticipate and experience your manifest presence in our life, your glory, your presence in our lives this coming week. I pray, Father, you would do this not just for us, but for your glory and honor and our lives to be enriched. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.